It's Star Wars. It's the start of Star Wars, right? You hear the music, you know what's happening. What's the visual that's in your mind? The text. Yeah. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That text is important text for the, for the movie. I had a Star Wars phase uh, a couple times in my life and it's when you have a Star Wars phase that you go, I want to actually like pause and read the text and understand what's happening because if you understand what's happening at the beginning, if you understand the foundations of the story, it's going to shape uh, your enjoyment and experience of the rest of the story. The same thing goes for other, you know, Star Wars is sometimes um, a, for a particular uh, sort of demographic, maybe Gossip Girl is more your thing and each episode of Gossip Girl starts off with like have a holly jolly Christmas on the Upper, upper East Side and there's some context given or if it's Seinfeld there's um, Jerry's stand-up routine that, that starts every episode. Um, and it sets the foundation of the story and so page one of the Bible sets the foundations of the story. Page one, chapter one of Genesis. And so we're going to spend a bit of time over the next few weeks um, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And when I was at Bible college, now Bible colleges work very differently to normal unis. Who's been to a uni that has like over a thousand people? Usually, I think most of us go to those kind of unis. Who's been in a uni that has like under a thousand people? Well, it's an experience, I'll tell you. It's really, like, intimate, and all of a sudden, like, you know sort of everyone, and it's, like, there's context for people, and it's kind of different. Um, and so people uh, have their favourite professors and their least favourite professors, and it's, like, p- people even, like, go over to dinner to their professor's house and stuff, and, like... Anyway, I had this fantastic lecturer at Bible College who I really liked, but who sometimes other people found too intense. Uh, he was sort of into musical theatre and he'd turn things into songs. He'd also like just dunk on people's favourite theologians or favourite like pastors and everyone in, at the time was into like this American pastor called John Piper and he'd like just dunk on John Piper everyone gets so offended and he'd, he'd like just have lots of fun um, with that. But he'd start every lecture with this intense um, quiz where he'd say, he'd point at each person and he'd be like, Kelly... What does Romans 3, 21 to 26 say? Now! And he'd like make you like memorize stuff and just put you on the spot. And everyone would just like cower and be embarrassed. And he'd like, it wasn't even just like recall from the week before's lecture. It'd be like, what did the reading, like, what did this reading say? What is like, he'd make you memorize stuff. It was really intense. Um, I don't know why, but I really liked him. Um, anyway, he, he was like from the army when he was 18. He joined the army and. Um, so he was sort of intense, uh, and he's, he's mellowed out, but still sort of hasn't. Um, so I'm not going to do that to you this week, but what did, just generally, what did Genesis 1, 1 to 2 say last week? In the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth, or Tim Mackey um, translated it as uh, God created the skies and the land, because heaven and earth uh, in the ancient times doesn't mean so much like God's space and our space, but the, the skies above and the lands below. And it said, um, Mackey's translation was, the land was wild and waste. The land um, was, was an abyss. It was darkness. It was chaos. We might call it nothingness. But there was God in the midst of this this abyss, in the midst of this darkness, 
God was there and God created. And the question I want to ask today now, coming out of Genesis 1 and 2, into the rest of chapter 1, is what did he create? What did he create? And when I was in year 8, I, went, um, I moved back from Adelaide um, and moved to Melbourne and went to Heathdale. And um, if you've got, had friends that go to Heathdale, um, no one here went to Heathdale, did they? So I can sort of have a cheeky go. Very, very bad academics. Like, just disappointing. Um, but what was really fun at Heathdale was these, like, practical subjects, like textiles and woodwork and stuff that I did in year eight that I sort of never... Like, Melbourne High, like, would never do that. And I guess um, I really enjoyed it because I have good memories of textiles and woodwork. And at woodwork, Alan, like, close your ears. This is too, um, too crappy. But I made um, an X out of two pieces of wood that went on top of each other and it made a little X. And mum and dad had to ask, you know, what is it? And I said, it's a, um, it's a, it's a saucepan uh, holster. You can put your hot saucepan on top of it and it won't burn the table. But they had to ask what it was because it's just an X. Like, and apparently it was functional. But, um, you know, another time it was in textiles and I made a square of fabric and mum and dad had to ask, what is it? And I was like, no, it's actually stitched in such a way that it's ready to be a piece of a quilt. It's like going to be a piece of a quilt. Um, had to explain what it was. Now, when we say, what did God create? We don't have to explain it because it's, it's so random that it doesn't make sense and you have to like attribute some kind of value to it or some kind of purpose or function. God's creation um, is not so bland and pointless that we have to sort of come up with ideas about what it is. Though some, some people sometimes feel like that. Um, at some level, you might kind of call that uh, a strain of like existentialism. Um, but God's creation is so vast and intricate and beautiful and uh, interesting that... that People actually dedicate entire lives and, and even generations and institutions dedicate huge amounts of time and attention just to, like, discover one piece of it. If we think of um, last year when the new um, images from... What was it called again? The, that big, like, telescope thing, the beautiful images? James Webb Telescope. Like, all of that effort going into just capturing, like, what is maybe a day of creation or one piece of God's creation. We have s streams of study like sociology or biology or anything to do with the human person, which is just us investing so much attention into to one piece of creation or anything to do with um, uh, biology and uh, the environment and nature. And we just like, there's so much here. And so Genesis 1 gives us a, a starting point to, to actually go into a lot of that interesting stuff. And as humans, I think we, we have this question burning inside of us. What does this all mean? What is this all for? What is this creation? Because we are actually the prize of creation. We are God's images. We are God's masterpiece. We are the centerpiece of creation. And so we are actually entrusted... Um, I'll get to this at the end of the... We'll sort of read through it slowly, but we're entrusted to be God's co-workers in the world and actually carry on the work of God's creative sort of and designing work. And so we want to know, well, what's the design? 
what's this all about? How did he make it? Why did he make it? Um, and so what I want to do is, is dive in and do a bit of sort of uh, exploring of the text, and then I want to have like a pastoral word to us about how uh, beautiful and loved you are. So that'll be nice. So just try to stay awake for that, because um, hopefully it'll you know, warm our hearts. But um, before that, let's, let's dive into the text. Um, so the first two verses we looked at last week, but oh man, my highlight colour looked really cute on my laptop, but it's very faint uh, on the screen there. But uh, formless and empty is highlighted, if you can make that out. Um, and that's going to be important because what God does in the rest of creation is he actually forms and fills things in the earth. So um, before the, the creation, the earth was formless and empty. Um, but God said, let there be light. And there was. So God says, and there was. And he saw that the light was good. And he called the light day and he called the darkness night. And, and this sets up a pattern of what he's going to continue to do, which is, is God said, and there was. God's going to say something and it's going to happen, which is epic because if I say, like, Matisse, come here, what are the chances she actually comes? Like, three out of ten, right? If I say, Matisse, do a trick. She did one the other day. And, like, she just, and I was like, yes, she, she can understand me. But it's very, like, the chances are quite low. But here in the story, God says, and it happens. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it says God saw that it was good. And he names it. He names the light day. He names the darkness night. And that's the first day. And this happens again. God said, let there be a vault. Let's separate the waters from the waters. Let's separate the sky from the seas. And, and it, so God did it. It says he made the vault. He separated it and it was so. God said and it happened. And he named it. He called the vault sky. So we see this pattern already. God says something. It happens, and he names it. And then he said, um, let the water under the sky be gathered, and let dry ground appear. And that happened, and he named that land. And he gathered the waters, and he named that sea. And God saw that it was good. So there's a lot of, um, lot of forming through his word, a lot of naming. God um, is, is giving uh, not just uh, like metaphysical kind of, like putting things in place. He's also giving them names. He's calling the day, day. He's calling the night, night. He's calling, he's naming, he's designing, and it's good. And we keep getting this pattern. God said, and it was so. So after the sea and the skies, um, we then get the, uh, we get the fish and the, the birds, and then, that's day four actually, um, the, the vegetation, the, the plants, and the trees. Um, it was so, and God saw that it was good. So this is the pattern that's forming. I hope this pattern is sort of getting into your, your flow, um, because I'm going to mention why it's so important a bit later, but I just want us to see this pattern for now. God said, it happened, God called, and it was good. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. So he's now forming the, the stars and the sun and the moon. Um, and it says actually like let these uh, stars which separate day from night let them actually help us mark out time and mark out years and mark out sacred occasions which I find really sort of beautiful because it actually I think says something to the reality that we can have special days and special times 
And that's in fact part of why God made the moon and the sun and the flow of the, the days is so that we can actually have seasons of, of joy, things like Chinese New Year, things like um, Christmas and you know Easter and these special seasons is actually part of God's design. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. So the first three days... Um, God said, let there be light, he forms light. God said, let there be darkness um, and, and let there be light and it's day and night. He forms the water into sea and sky. He forms land and vegetation. He sees that it's good. What happens after that is he fills what he's formed. So God fills and he forms, which is important because it said the earth was empty and formless. And so now he starts filling the earth, filling with, with all these beautiful things. Fills the, the sky with the stars and moon and sun. He fills the, the sea um, and the sky with birds and beasts, with whales and warblers, sharks and seagulls, fishes and finches. Is there any other birds we can think of we can do an alliterative? Dolphins and doves? We've got to have another one. Come on. A sea creature and a bird creature. Who's, sharks and sparrows. another bird. Eels and eagles. Eels doesn't really deserve a mention. <laughs> kind of gross. But everything, like all the birds, all the, the fish, everything in the, the sea and the sky, God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And God said that it was good. What happens here is we, we get the first situation where God actually says in verse 22, he says, now you guys go on and keep creating. Right? So he says to the birds and the fish, he says, you guys keep creating and keep, um, we call it procreation, right? Um, keep going. And so he's almost putting into motion this cycle where, where his creation can be sustained. Where he's not simply um, forming and filling, he's filling in such a way that it will actually be able to keep going and be sustained. So he's He's not just making, he's now sustaining and designing for sustenance the world and how it's going to work. And after filling the sea and the sky, he fills um, the, the land, which is exciting. Um, because this is where we get like greyhounds and horses and lions and wild animals. Um, and, and so this is an exciting one because God... Uh, he, he forms uh, animals out of the land. It says, let the land produce living creatures. And this is important because in Genesis 2, we're going to get the story of how he makes humans and they're going to come from the dust as well. So God keeps making, he keeps creating. He gets the animals also to be part of this sort of procreative plan. And then we get to the masterpiece. And this is where I want to sort of really learn the masterpiece and centerpiece of creation. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What's really interesting here is that, that God said, let us. God said, let us 
make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He's saying this project, this creative project is, is, is collaborative. This is one of the key places where we, we understand the idea of Trinity, that God is, is three in one, because God is using corporate language, communal language. If I say to myself, uh, Lockie, um, let us go to Small Batch. It's opened again this week, and the coffee is really good, and I need some beans. Let us go. It's, I'm pretty weird, right? If I say to Ronald, hey, Ronald, we're meeting up tomorrow, which we are, going to plan small groups, so pray for us that we don't create a boring curriculum. And I say, let us go to small batch. That makes sense, right? And then we're going to go, we're going to have a great time, might get two coffees, might get three. Ronald likes the hot chocolate there as well, so we'll, we'll see what happens. We don't know. But, you know, let us, you can do that collaboratively. If Sarah says to Kelly, Kelly, you're home, let us go to the city. That makes sense, right? Because it's communal. And so when God creates humans, it's communal. He says, let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, we can infer. He's saying, let us do this together. What's fascinating then is that if we are God's images, if we are his likeness, then we too are made not just as individuals, but as people who are part of community. So it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over. Not so that Adam may rule over. Not so that he or she may rule over. So that they may rule over. And, and that they is, is plural in the sense that it's saying, let them be our image. Let them together be our image. And, and let them, the first thing they're going to do as the image of God is be rulers over the earth, rulers over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, rulers over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, that is a great responsibility to be the rulers of the creation. That is the responsibility God entrusts to us. Now, do we interpret that as, well, therefore, we're the boss of all animals so we can do whatever we want? Or do we interpret that as, well, we're the boss of all the animals, so we have to really look after them. Right? There's different ways you can go there. You could actually take this verse and say, I'm never going to become a vegetarian because, well, I'm more important than the animals. Or you could use this verse and say, I actually really want to dedicate my life to, to conservatism because uh, like, we've been entrusted by God to look after nature. It's the first thing we see that the way that we are God's images, and I'm going to get a lot more into image of God next week, but is that we are his likeness by being rulers, by being leaders, by being his representatives to, to be um, like stewards of the creation. And then it goes on to say, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And like I said, um, I'm going to speak more into, about image of God or Imago Dei, as we sometimes say next week. But this image idea is really important because um, if we are his representatives, if we are like him, it's similar to why, like, um, this is pretty personal, but I will say it anyway. Sometimes Jess and I talk about, just obviously, you know, not that well, sometimes we go, can we have kids? Like, I don't know, could we adopt? 
You know, we think about adoption, and adoption's great. And sometimes I think, like, maybe, maybe we should all adopt because, like, there's people in need, and let's help them. And then sometimes it goes, but, like, it would be really fun to have, like, a little Lockie running around, right? And the only way you have, like, a little Lockie is if, and a little Jess, um, is if, like, they're made in your image, like, they have your DNA. And so I'm, I'm always torn, like, between these ideas, like, should we just not have kids? Should we wait and see if we can have kids ourselves? Should we adopt? I don't know, maybe we, even if Jess gets better, we still won't be able to have them. Who knows? But when we are God's likeness, when we have his DNA imprinted upon us, when we are um, the image of him, when we are little, small, like little Jesuses running around in the world representing him, we have this, this beautiful, um, not just roles to play, but, but real dignity and, and goodness to us, that we are not just uh, functionally God's images, but we are also uh, almost like by value, by dignity, by just inherently God's image, that we have God's imprint on us. And there's this idea, this is kind of a bit of a theological um, like footnote, but if you want the footnote, I'm not really giving you a choice, I'm going to give it to you. There's this really interesting theological footnote that um, in ancient cosmologies and ancient creative narratives, uh, every deity would put in their temple images of the gods in the temples, right? So, um, like, the obvious one of this is, like, in any Buddhist space, there'll be a, an image of a Buddha, right? Um, in, in any ancient um, religion, you would have an image of the god in the temple. And so what God's doing in this story is he's actually putting his image in the centre of his temple. That is creation. It's like the earth is his temple, and we are actually like the, the centerpiece, the images um, that, that speak to his glory and, and reflect his, his beauty and goodness. Um, and we're the centerpiece of that. So there's lots of implications about um, image of God. I'm going to get to them next week because Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is a creation narrative that focuses just on the people. So we get um, this sort of really cosmic. Um, vision in Genesis 1 and then in Genesis 2 it's, it's quite focused on um, Adam and Eve um, male and female so we'll, we'll get more into that next week but I just want to note that, that when God makes his image he makes them male and female that when God um, says I'm going to make people my image I'm going to make them male and female and so this speaks to our understanding of gender um, both in the importance of there being distinct um, male and female and also the importance of uh, valuing men and women. So you get... Uh, and we, sh- we can't really get caught in modern um, like political culture wars because at one hand, uh, this speaks to the distinction of gender and on another hand, this speaks to the equality of gender. Um, And so there's not sort of some conservative take or some progressive take here. Men and women equally um, image God. Or we could even say, without both, we don't image God fully. You actually need men and need women together to image God. That's, That's tricky because that's across the world, and yet we all, even if... Even if we become hermits and just live on our own and don't associate with anyone else, we still are God's images, but it's together 
as all humans, as men and women, that we are God's images. And somehow we couldn't just have Ronald by himself and that gives us the full picture of God. And we couldn't just have Fonya by herself and that gives us the full image of God. And we couldn't just have Winnie by herself. We couldn't just have PJ. It's together, across the genders, that we image God. And so we need to celebrate both men and women, maleness and femaleness. And then God puts, speaking of men and women, um, he puts the, the procreation flow into, um, into sort of system with not just the birds and the uh, animals, but with the humans. And so he says, now you guys, similar to what he said to the creatures, you guys be fruitful and increase in number. You fill the earth and subdue it. You you go on and and spread um, your seed, if you like. It's a bit intense, but um, through the world. And so here is another question coming back to, like, should we have babies? This is a place where Christians go, well, God says be fruitful and increase in number, so we all have to have babies. Now, I don't think that's a great argument because um, it's, a, it's a general sort of vision to all of creation here. So I don't think this, every person needs to get Genesis 1, 28 tattooed on themselves and have to say, I have to have a baby. Like, um, this is sort of to, to all humans, let us keep um, creating. Let us keep, you know, let's not uh, be a society that... Um, sort of thwarts the creation of new humans. Let us be a society, let us be a people that um, is fruitful in the world. But as we know, sometimes for like things like environment and stuff, we might have to be sensitive about how many children it's wise to have as well, or just for your own character and calling, because as we're going to get to in a second, God makes us also to work. And it might not be reasonable for everyone to have ten children if God's called you to... Um, subdue the earth through your vocational calling, right? It's going to be hard for you to, to rule over the fish in the sea and be the crocodile hunter if you've got ten children that you're trying to look after. So I think there's this sort of um, this broad call that God's giving humans here. That God says to us, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the creatures, over every living thing that moves along the ground. And then he gives the humans every seed-bearing plant. He gives the humans every tree. He says, take this for food. Take, take even the animals, even the beasts of the earth. And this is why I think we can never have a, a Christian account that says you have to be vegetarian. It's, if you're a Christian and you're vegetarian, that's cool. But I don't think we can impose that on all Christians necessarily because at some level, um, God gives us not just fruit and, and vegetables and vegetation for food, but he also gives us the, the creatures that move along the ground. And it was so. And finally, he saw all that he made, and it was not just good, it was very good. I'm sure you've heard this before. He said, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, and then he stopped. And he said, it was very good. And, you know, that's like when you're you know playing music and you're, you're strumming along and then you have that, that big pause, you know, that, that sort of dramatic, like, uh, like strumming along. You know, Justin Bieber used to always do this. He'd be like... No, Taylor would do it more, actually. She'd do like a... Yeah. 
and it was very good. That was probably really unnecessary, but um, I almost went into the rap of like, when I was 13, but I managed to control myself. Um, he saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. It was very good because humans are the centerpiece of his creation. And, and what, what I want to finish is to just fill your, fill your tanks with this awareness that you are very good. And the earth is messed up. And we often talk about how messed up the earth is and how sinful we are. And we're going to get there because that does happen in, in the Genesis story. But right now, at Genesis 1, what God made was very good. And when God made you, he made you very good. And, and there is this goodness to creation. And there is this goodness to us that we need to remember. We, we, we often speak of how we need to remember we're fallen and we're, we're broken and we're sinful. But we also need to remember this original goodness. That we were made very good at the very start. That God saw what he made. He made this earth and though it does end up fragmented and in some ways the whole vision after the Star Wars title, the whole story is about getting back to this place when everything would be very good. About God healing the land, about God healing the earth, about God healing people to make us once again very good. To make everything work very well. And so what we can do is once we um, celebrate and once we trust and once we learn and once we hear God's voice say you are loved and, and you are very good, we can practice imaging God in the different ways that we see him here. So how are some of the ways God acted in his creation? Well, he was creative. And so we are maybe called to be creative. And you always get that cringy thing when like, you hear people go, you don't have to be an artist to be creative. Everyone's creative. You know, you've heard that one before. It's like, it's a bit cringy, but it's kind of, I guess I like to say, sometimes I, it goes too far and when you go, you don't have to have any skill. We're all artists. I'm like, that's too far. Maybe some of us just aren't artists and that's okay. Um, but we are all creative. We all have different things we can um, bring into to the world. Um, maybe it's creative ideas about, you know, what would be, you know, what flavours would go well together on the icing of this cake, right? And I'm talking about cake again. Um, what, uh, what would work? What seating arrangement would create a really great vibe at church? Or it might be like, I've got an idea for like a painting or a new design for a, a car or a computer. But we all have different um, ways that we have God's creativity imprinted upon us. And we can use that in the world as, as God's image bearers. We're also made in God's image in that we are communal people. We're made for relationship. We're made to cooperate, just like how God worked together in his creation. God creates, he cultivates, he forms and fills. Some of us might be called less to make things from scratch than to maintain things. And there's this really um, high value of, of maintenance that we need to bring back in our culture that we've kind of lost in the era of fast fashion and, you know, Apple do that whole, um, like, planned... What's the word for it? Planned crapness? <laughs> there's like a... 
yeah, it's like, we'll make you an iPhone, it'll be good now, but we know it'll suck in five years. Planned, what's the word? Daniel knows it. Obsolescence, planned obsolescence. In the fast fashion and planned obsolescence era, valuing maintenance and just going, what if we can actually keep some good things just being good and, and maintain and upkeep them and, and we don't need to throw everything out when we're done with it? You know, maybe you're called to be someone who, who is not so much someone who forms but who fills, who, who contributes to things which are already there. And some of you maybe will be people who, who bring into things, uh, bring things into existence which weren't there before. But God creates, he cultivates, he relates. And we're like him. And so we can celebrate our image of Godness, celebrate our goodness by, by getting our hands dirty and being uh, people who create and who co- cooperate and who cultivate. I think this story says that we're like him and it also says we're not. There is a creator-creature distinction in Genesis 1 which makes us give us this, this humility that we are, though we are very good, we are not God. Though we are very good, we are not God. And so we don't even, um, we're going to get to, like I said, the doctrine of sin. And um, in some ways, I think the doctrine of sin is, is more something that keeps us careful than keeps us humble. I don't, because humility is good and sin is not. And so if we say sinfulness keeps us humble, we're actually saying we're getting something good out of something bad. I wonder if we have to be careful because we're sinful, we have to be prudent, but humility can actually come just from the fact that we're creatures and we're not the creator. And so we can actually be made beautiful, made very good, but we're still God's handiwork. We're still God's creatures. And so, so we can stay humble and we can, even next week as we get into Genesis 2 and it seems like the story almost revolves around humans, we can remember Genesis 1 and go, even before that, before there was anything, there was God. And before the story sort of centres on humans, even more so it centres on God. And so in our original goodness, we actually have this humility because we are good, but we're good because God made us. We're good because we're His handiwork. We're good, like we already get this message of grace, even from page one, that he made us good and we didn't do anything. That we didn't work to make ourselves beautiful, he made us beautiful. That we didn't work to give ourselves value, he made us valuable. And so um, in in our work, in our relationships and in our identity, we can know that we are made very good and we are made in God's image. So when you, in your work, and when I say work, um, Winnie Foos had this great line that um, we've been using whenever we talk over the last few weeks. Winnie's work for the last few weeks was not being an OT, it was being a, a, a child, right? Or a, a tour guide. Or sometimes your work is not the thing you get paid for. It's actually, the, the thing you get paid for is your escape from the work at home. Sometimes your work is life admin. Everyone knows that as we get hit our 20s, life admin just takes so much time. It's like filling out, you know, forms, having to renew my passport, having to fill up the car with petrol. Some of you might maybe just do this for fun, but, you know, everything feels like a task to me. It's like, oh, I've got to remember to do petrol. I've got to remember to oh, get carrots. Um, like, all of the work we do, not just our paid work, 
whether it's um, loving our families, life admin, the work we get paid for, our study, maintenance, all of that we do as God's image bearers. We all do, all of that we do with a purpose that God made the world and now we are entrusted to continue shaping and, and making the world as his image bearers. So there's great value and great purpose in all the work we do. We are continuing on the, the creative work of God. It's not just in our work, though, it's in our relationships, in our speaking, the value of speech, like God said and it happened. Now, we don't have that ability. Um, in the beginning was the word and, and, and this idea of God's speech almost being his very self uh, comes through the scriptures and, and we end up seeing that the person of Jesus is actually called the Logos, the word that God spoke. But in our speech, in our, our cooperation, in the way we view the other, male and female, or we can even extend that to, to the other, whether that's to do with, um, you know, ethnicity or ability or, or status or whatever it is, there's this beautiful dignity of the other that we can't image God alone. We need difference. We need um, diversity and, and clarity of difference and equality in difference to actually image God fully. And so there's this beautiful sort of dignity to who each of you are and to how each of you can treat one another and work together that is all imaging God. And in your identity, in your self-worth, if you sometimes feel like you are not much good, if you sometimes feel like you, um, you know, didn't go as well in your life as you wanted or, or things aren't working out and maybe you're not worth as much or maybe you're not as valuable because this person doesn't, um, you know, find you attractive and you really wanted to, to be with them or this person didn't think you deserved the job even though you really wanted that job or even like let's be brutal like sometimes even our parents don't love us as they should and it's like that can really hurt you are loved by God he made you and he said you're very good humans you're very loved you're my centerpiece you're my you're made in my image and we are a community of love and so we've made you out of our love because we love you and so i just hope that today we can remember our, our original goodness our image of godness because all of this comes from the creator and all of this ultimately moves us to worship because he's ultimately the one who's who's made us to to work made us to have relationships made us to, to be good and, and beautiful. And so this all comes back to worship, back to, to God. And, and if you notice, if you go back to the rest of the story, everything God made, he made that, to give life. And so whenever we move towards God, we move towards that which gives life, that which is generative and good. God said everything he made was good. And when we move away from life, when we tear down, notice that God never made death. God never made sin. God never made bullying. God never made abuse. God never made torture. All that moves away from life moves away from God. All that moves away from being creative and generative and good moves away from God. And so let us move towards God and his vision 
of the earth and of life and the cosmos. And I think there's a, there's a dual message here that go forth and, and do wonderful things in your work and wonderful things in your relationship and wonderful things in your own identity and, and go forth and just worship God. And those two things can actually have a beautiful overlap. And, and that's what the foundational story of, of Genesis 1 tells us. What we're going to do now is, is celebrate the earthiness of, of God. The word who was there at the beginning um, came down. And, and when he came down, he said, like, our, our bodies matter, like matter matters. Um, he said, I'm not just going to be a God who who's, who's just exists in spirit. I'm going to be a God who, who comes as flesh and dwells among us. Is everything good? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so he says to us after he leaves, take and eat and remember me. Take and eat. Take and drink.